Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern-day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGM through becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us, as well as upcoming events that where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in any slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Hello and welcome to Clinton's YYC, Follow the Money, Investing with Purpose, a show where we have real conversations with the people who are driving change in our world. I'm excited today to take a little bit of a different approach. On most of the episodes we've had so far, i got to be honest, we started with the commercial approach. What's the business? What problem are we solving? And then, and sometimes in or in, in that order, what is our purpose and what's really driving us? And what what is that change we want to see in the world? I've got two special guests on the show today where we're going to kind of start it in reverse. We're going to start with purpose and then really have a conversation about what it is to build a not-for-profit, what it is to build an organization that's primary objective in the world is to create change and have impact. I've got happy to welcome Andrew Ladd, two-time Stanley Cup champion, and Meredith Wolf, executive director at the Ladd Foundation, and also to talk about the Ladd Foundation, which Andrew started. Obviously, we're going to get into, Meredith, your role at the table, but also 1616, which is the program you guys have got going, which is kind of how I got introduced to both of you. So welcome to you both. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. It's uh, exciting to be on in a different different. Uh... I guess arena for me in, in terms of not, not talking about hockey. Um, <laughs> well, we might slip it in. My audience won't hate it probably Maybe. if you do talk about hockey a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, and Meredith, just a, just a quick question. How long have you guys been working together just to kind of set the stage up from that perspective? We are coming up on two years now. Um, really at the end of this summer, it'll be two years since we were first introduced. Fantastic. Okay. So, so a, a, a real period of time. So you guys have been building this up. Andrew, let's start from the foundation. Like what is, what is the Lad Foundation? Give us a little bit of the backstory and kind of if the elevator pitch, if you will, of kind of your main motivations around starting it. And then let's get into 1616 and what that program is all about. And get, let's let the audience in before we kind of take them on the journey of what's been, what it's been take to build this thing. Yeah. So Lad Foundation was started by uh, my wife and I um, really came from a place. So, okay, like we want to give back and what is important to us. And and, um, when we started having that conversation, it was kids, it was mental health, it was people with disabilities. Um, Those are things that have primarily had a massive impact on us personally and um, something that resonates with us in terms of, hey, how how can we help these causes and work towards um, you know, solution, especially, you know, mental health has kind of come to the forefront for us in the last uh, five years or so. So we started off um, as being a donor advised fund where we would just support other uh, 501c3s okay. and and uh, hold hold events and, and, you know, support Canadian mental health in Calgary, uh, Kelowna, uh, the Rick Hansen Foundation um was was one of our recipients one year uh and then it got to a place where like we wanted to make it our own uh and, and like i said brings us to the why portion of the, of the story but i uh i was 15 or 16 years into my nhl career uh and i signed a big contract with the new york islanders the first few years went okay and then i had back-to-back major knee surgeries in one season um, and came back the next year, you know, as, as an athlete who's been used, used to doing things pretty well and, and, uh, things going pretty smoothly. Um, uh, I came back and struggled 
uh, struggled on the ice. Um, general manager said, Hey, like you don't look, you don't look right on the ice and, and we're going to, uh, send you the minors, play a few games down there and, and let's try to get you feeling better, looking better. And, uh, you know, the few games turned into a few months and, and I was down there for, um, a, a full year, um, prior to COVID and at that point was, was struggling mentally, uh, really, I had been very good my whole career, my whole life at burying my head, working hard and, and being able to accomplish whatever was, was in front of me. Um, and that worked up until it didn't work and quickly realized I didn't have a whole lot of skills, uh, beyond that skill set that would help me navigate the situation in, in, in a different way. Um, so my wife, you know, who's with me every day, was was pretty quick to, to see that in me. Um, you know, she could see I was in my own head. I was distant, you know, from her and, and my kids and, uh, definitely wasn't showing up the way I, I could as a husband or, or a father. Uh, and that, you know, translation translated to the, to the rink as well with teammates and coaches that, uh, of the team that I was a part of. Um, and she was like, Hey, you need to, you need to talk to someone, find someone it doesn't have to be me, find someone to talk to and, and start to, to figure this out. So lucky enough, I had a teammate that had a performance mental performance coach. Uh, and we were, we were making a two hour drive from Long Island, New York to Bridgeport, Connecticut at that time. And, and you know, that we had a lot of great conversations. So I, 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 we started talking about his mental performance coach and he said, Hey, well, like, why don't you just give him a call, give him a call, have a conversation with him, and, and see how it goes. So sure enough, I did. Um, and, and you know, one of the, the most important conversations that I've had in my life in terms of opening my eyes to the possibilities of things I wasn't very good at. Um, you know, the skills mentally that I maybe thought I, I had that I, that I didn't um, and, and really opened up a new path for me to think differently uh, about different situations, how I was relating to my situation and, you know, whether I was feeling victimized or uh, entitled or, you know, you name it, um, started a process of, of learning how to develop myself and my brain. Uh, and, and at that point start to train it as, as a muscle, um, instead of, you know, something that we either have or we don't. So, uh, when I had that moment in my life, it was really a realization for me and, and it clicked that, hey, they, these are the types of skills we want to start getting to kids at a younger age um, so that they don't have to find out when they're 35 years old or 25 years old or, you know, really when when shit hits the fan, I'll say, and you don't have any other options, um, that's when people usually seek help. So how do we get that help to them at a younger age so that they can um, have these skills so when adversity hits or things aren't going well, they have some different pathways that they know to go down to navigate some of these things. And then that was really the, the, the start of uh, finding Meredith to, uh, to figure out how, how can we figure out a way to get these skills in front of kids at a younger age and have a more proactive approach uh, to mental health. Well, that was it. I appreciate it. Just to give a little bit of a timeline. So the loud, the lad foundation is something you had already started prior to this kind of situation kind of happening in your life as just a way to contribute to sounds like what was multiple different, different uh, non-for-profits, different charities, different organizations that were, had already kind of found their why and were doing the work in their areas when this kind of adversity or this train or this bus came out of nowhere and kind of took you off, off your game, literally. Yeah. And, and that really narrowed our focus. Um, <laughs> and we decided like, okay, now is the time to start our own thing, build our own thing and really be intentional with how we can uh, serve people as a, as a foundation. So we, we, we went from being a donor advised fund to going through the process of Meredith of uh, registering in Canada as a registered charity um, and on the other side of, of in the U S as well. Uh, curious. So with the Lad Foundation, that was funded. That was your between your 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 wife and yourself. That was your family foundation that then you were using to fund it. Like just thinking about kind of setting up the journey of the conversation of transitioning from being a self directed, like you said, a donor based fund where you were the main um, uh, 
funder of that to going out and actually turning this into a broader program. So two very, very different kind of vehicles, if you will, if I'm understanding it correctly. Yeah, and, and the, I, the best way to describe it is we didn't handle, before that was a donor advisement, we didn't handle the money. So okay. we would go raise money for CMHA, Calgary. Um, they would process all the money and all the oh, tax receipts. It. And got we it. just held the event to raise that money. So now we have our own team building our own business. We'll handle the money, tax receipts, and, and everything um, in-house. So that's, that's the best way to describe it. Okay, got it. Uh, curious and not going to go too far down this rabbit, this, this, this line, but as a professional athlete kind of grow, and I've had different professional athletes on, and some of them have had performance coaches, which typically means more the mental, mental performance coaches, the psychology of it, but doesn't sound like that's a foregone conclusion. That's something you as a professional athlete or, you know, the, 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 the teammate that you talked about, it's not something that everybody just has their, their, their mental performance coach as part of it. This is something you had to search out kind of along your journey. And until you needed it, it wasn't really there. It wasn't even a thought. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing in just in terms of athletics, especially from, I mean, I can speak to the hockey side, but mm-hmm. um, even like physical trainers, like guys usually go out and find their own people. Oh, um, interesting. During, okay, all right. That's an in, illusion in, that maybe I had portrayed for myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely team by team has staff in-house, which you use during the season. But mm-hmm. in the off season, everyone goes their separate place. So they find their own people. Um, so Interesting. Okay. it's, it, it's very common now for guys to have their own skills coaches. They have their own trainers and now mental performance coaches are becoming a more important part of, of the everyday athlete. So all three of those things. And I think that's the value that I can bring to the table in terms of this program is I've gone out and I've tried different <laughs> trainers and different skills coaches and different um, mental performance coaches that I've, I've dealt with. And it's like anything else, you know, it's easy to say you're uh, a mental performance coach or a trainer, and, <laughs> but there's a range in terms of, yes, not of, all, cre- uh, not all created equal, not all created yeah, equal. <laughs> exactly. Uh, curious, any stigma or anything about like, is there, are we, how far away from that point that not having a mental performance coach would actually more be more off the mark than having one? Is there a balance like that? Cause they're sport and I've been involved in sport or there can be a like kind of toughen up and deal with it kind of approach, which I think our world has maybe suffered from when it comes to mental health, especially the last two years. I think that's shined a light on as we've all been isolated and just that awareness around being in a dark place and getting support. I like that the stimulus, stimula, the stigma is coming off. Are you seeing the same thing? coming in the professional sport environment or hockey yeah, specifically, obviously that's your world. Yeah, for sure. It, it's, it is changing. And that's part of really our, our goal with, with 16, 16 is to bring that conversation to a younger age so that, you know, now guys are in their twenties or in their thirties and they're seeing the value of having mm-hmm. those type of skills and, and those type of mentors in their, in their lives. Um, where so you're going to see it, it it's going to it's going to come to an earlier and earlier age uh and we just need to make sure it's it's the right kind of um message for for young kids and hmm. yeah really it's it's interesting from a standpoint of like as a an athlete especially high performing athlete if things are going well they don't want they don't want any help they're good with their lane and what's <laughs> yeah. what's going well and then, like I said, as soon as things start to go the other way or they're having struggles, then it's like, okay, now I'm ready to reach out. So there's, a, I guess, a fine line of, of people being able to have that own moment, their, their own moment within that and reach out themselves and be ready for that help um, and, and just trying to get in front of people at, at an earlier age. I appreciate mitigating, staying healthy versus um, fixing an injury or, you know what I mean, dealing with tri- the triage-based world of medicine that we often live in. But that's another podcast for another day. Meredith, I'm curious to loop you into this conversation. Two years ago, you kind of, you, you you ran into this, the, this, the LAD Foundation kind of understood a little bit what they're happening. Give me a little bit from your perspective as somebody who kind of put their hand up to kind of get involved and kind of go on this journey. Sure. Um, so my background is that I'm trained as an attorney. And I've been working for almost a decade now with athletes and entertainers to help them do high impact strategic philanthropy. Nice. And we always start with that question of, you know, who do you want to help and why? Because in almost every professional situation I've ever had doing this work, the athlete has a great idea of a need or a cause 
And there's already an organization out there doing exceptional work that hits the nail on the head. And one of the big things in the nonprofit space, in any space, but especially nonprofit, is you don't want duplication. That's a waste of resources. And why build something new if someone's already doing it well? Team up with them, amplify their work, white label their work to tweak it and make it your own. And when Andrew and Brandy came to me and we dug into this idea of mental health, not just for youth hockey players at a young age, but also their parents and caregivers, but also their coaches. This idea that we want to change the youth hockey culture a bit by proactively giving this group of people skills to support kids to thrive. Okay, that's great. And we went out and we did a marketplace assessment. And what we found was that there's there's a hole, it would seem, in this area of work. There's lots of things that are out there for older kids that are school delivered, that are very time intensive courses that coaches can take that are focused on this is what anxiety looks like. This is how to manage depression, but not here are skills and what we call our four C's of competence, confidence, connection, and character. And if you go out into the world and use these skills When you encounter adversity, when you're trying to connect with teammates, not only will you perform better on the ice, bringing in that performance element, but you will move through the world in a stronger and better equipped way because challenges are inevitable. Um, It's just a matter of how do you handle them? And so we took these individuals that we met during our marketplace assessment, researchers out of Queens University, and these incredible curriculum development team, um, an organization in Calgary, the Impact Society. And we said, come with us. Let's build the thing. And let's take the knowledge you have and the formats and create something that goes where hockey families are. You know, delivered virtually, teaches itself, quick hitting. Nobody has time, but everyone wants Um, And and that's what we've been doing now for almost two years is creating something that's based off of lots of knowledge that already exists, but it's never been packaged and delivered in the way we're doing it to the audience we're creating it for. I love this is where the business lines and the non-for-profit, it still has to be. Is there an opportunity? Is someone already doing it? And you know, to your point, if you really want to create change, oftentimes the people that are already doing it are the best qualified or the best position for that. So for the role you play and certainly what you've been doing for the last 10 years, how challenging is it to bring something like this to market? Because listening to you talk, it's so gettable. Like I understand it. I can relate to it. I really could have used it and benefited from it when I was younger. Now looking back, but that's there's a lot of great things out there and a lot of change to be made in the world. Let's talk about the reality of bringing something like this to market. And it's a startup, you know, which is what we kind of talked about before this episode of, you know, you get so wrapped up in this amazing cause and I'm so passionate about it, but you've still got a lot of the obstacles of one, just getting an audience, getting people to buy in, then getting people to fund it. How is that in your role? You must see this all the time of like, quote unquote, good ideas that still have to get to market and maybe kind of sometimes die in that process, thinking about purely the startup journey. I mean, I'll say it's been really challenging. (laughs) I think there are a couple of, and I'll I'll say also, we have like this amazing team of individuals Hmm. who are so dedicated. And I think at the core of any new idea, which I'd say is challenge number one, is when you have something new, And you're literally like, well, okay, what is the best way to do every single thing we identify that we need to do? And have we identified every single thing that we need to do? And so we've done focus groups and we ran a pilot program and we're asking tons of questions and making adjustments as we go. But there's challenges in the fact that it's new. There's challenge in the fact that sports culture is a very well-established thing. And I think A lot of coaches coach children the way that they were coached. And a lot of parents parent their young athletes the way that they were parented. And there's a system in place that exists. And even if people have their own war stories from how it was for them, it's very hard without having someone say, here's a new way, let me teach it to you to break the mold. And so we're trying to break the mold and and universally the players that are part of our program are so excited when they hear what we're building for kids. And there's such so many head nods when we talk about it. So it's new, it's sports, it's mental health. I think 
a tiny silver lining of COVID is that our cultural acceptance of talking about mental health, of acknowledging that we, for some reason, treat the brain as an organ different than every other body and every other (laughs) part part of of your body. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. And if your kid came to you home from hockey practice and said, my arm hurts, you would figure out how to help your kid's arm feel better. But if your kid comes home from hockey practice and says, I'm so anxious, I can barely get out on the ice and concentrate, we're not really equipped as parents or caregivers or coaches to help them through that. Um, and, and so that's another challenge. And then the other thing is we're not building a minimum viable product here. We want to build something that immediately appears as high-quality, well-informed, research-backed, and that's expensive. Developing good content with professional hockey players, delivering things virtually, so having technology power, it's all expenses. So we're climbing like many mountains simultaneously (laughs) and trying to find people to support it who have that right balance of passion for any of those topics but also an entrepreneurial spirit. Like, yeah, I get that this is new and there's not a model that you're following. You're just adhering to the best practices and charting a new course. I really appreciate all the nuance because just to be clear, when this is delivered, it's delivered free to the end user. Is that correct? That's certainly the intention. Yes. I think that's good to call that out <laughs> there. <laughs> exactly. And and like an important thing to help people understand is it is not free it's free to the end user user. and we're powering it through philanthropy through the generosity of others and understanding that some of our end users will be able to give back at the end they will have an incredibly positive experience and they Mm -hmm. will be able to make a donation that gives that positive experience to others but we made the program free right now because it's important especially in a sport like hockey which has a lot of barriers to entry to begin with it does sport needs to grapple with If you've made it to a team, you can have access to this program because you should have access to this program. That's amazing. So when you're, let's get down to the nuts and bolts of your, you're looking for funding, you're you're looking for partners, whether they're time, money, energy, uh, support, door opening, and you're there pitching it. The, the the why is powerful. The purpose is powerful. Are people looking for, I'm just curious, I'm in the room now. You've done your, your pitch. I'm motivated and kind of almost about right where we are. We're 20 minutes in. I'm bought in. Do we ask about metrics? Do we ask about outcomes? Like, what are you hearing and kind of what kind of, I don't want to use the word objections, but what questions are you getting in those environments where you're out saying, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why. Do you want to get involved? What shows up in, in the room that maybe stops that buy-in or is the clarification that then for either of you what do you what are you hearing where's the pushback coming from well i, I think the first hurdle is people want to see the impact locally mm, um, okay yeah like so that. they they want they want you know a lot of donors that we're talking to like they want to make sure their money if, if it's a donor from calgary hey like i want to know what's affecting kids in calgary um right now so um having them understand like you know this is going to give kid like I guess the the hurdle we're, we were talking about before too was like building the thing costs money before we can take it to Calgary. Yes. Um, <laughs> so having people understand that aspect of it. And um, so that's been a hurdle. I think people want to see sustainability. Um, you know, what, what does the future look like for us in terms of our, our vision of having sustainability financially, being able mm-hmm. to produce, programs at different age groups and more mature content like what what are the costs what does the cost of that look like um those are probably two of the the big things that that i've run into and mary i don't know if you have any different yeah i mean i think the charitable space is grappling a little bit with outcome metrics Mm -hmm. and that we spent a long time being really data driven and then i think things swung really heavily to testimonials And we went into this, like, you know, get the kid telling the story of impact. And now we're trying to sit somewhere in between, I think, as a culture. And so I feel really proud of the mix of data and, you know, narrative that we're putting Mm, together. Mm. But what's really tricky in the mental health space is there aren't tangible outcomes that you can see instantly. Just this morning, we were having a meeting with some of the members of our curriculum team to talk about 
you know, each week we tell a story, a player, a real player tells a story that exemplifies the concept they're learning that week in the curriculum, an NHL player, women's national team, a Paralympic player. And then we ask the kids to reflect and then we ask the kids to live it out. So it's this brain science of change. Do you understand it? Can you relate it to yourself? Can you take an action that embodies it? We were grappling with whether or not the action was too sophisticated for a 10 to 12-year-old kid. And we're going, well, you know, as a 30-something-year-old, that would be really difficult. And we're like, well, if the kid gets this question when they're 10, maybe by the time they're 30, that's not a hard question to answer. And so you did, we just painted an illustration for you of a 20-year-plus tangible outcome. We are trying to shape tiny humans into adults, to, to, to older children, to adolescents, to 20-somethings, to 30-somethings, to senior citizens who move about the world with a different sense of self, with a different ability to thrive through positive and negative situations. How do you package that in a like cost per user, in your pitch to your, your potential funder? We're trying to turn a giant ship here. And there's not going to be one thing that happens where your child wakes up and it's like, I am transformed. And the parent is like, I am a better parent. But you're going to feel it in drips throughout our experience. And then it's going to pop up for weeks and months and years later. And then hopefully we'll grow as an organization and we'll come back and we'll give you more, more mature knowledge and, and continue to drip it out. But we're not trying to do something that can be accomplished quickly. And that's hard to get buy-in for. Yeah. You, you show me a new technique that gets my player back on the ice after a knee injury in three weeks, instead of four weeks, I can, I can buy that. Right. It's very, it's very sellable, buyable. Curious, how much are you guys finding, you know, Andrew, thinking back to your story about, you know, this probably wasn't relevant if someone pitched this to you until you went through your own experience, being someone I'm just relating myself, who's gone through some of this evolution and become a little more self-aware thinking back of like, Oh, I really wish younger me would have got these lessons or been shown these things. I can only imagine when you're in the pitch process, not to, to just think about it from a monetized perspective, but the people that have gone through some of these experiences in their own life, I'm assuming this is much more relatable, like the, wow, I wish I had that when I was 10 kind of mindset versus someone, you know, Andrew, to your point, when it's going well, everything's fine. We're not even talking about it. We're not even going to look at this. But the second it's not and you go through it and get to the other side, I would imagine this story is way more relatable to that audience really quickly. <laughs> Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, and I mean, you, the parents, I'll have conversations with parents or coaches that see it in kids on a day-to-day -day basis that understand it. Um, hmm. And then obviously within their own lives. Uh, and I think part of it is it's taken that long for them to understand what they're going through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not like they haven't been going through it for a long time. It's like, oh, they, have, they, they haven't actually taken the time to think about how that's affected them for 20 plus years or 30 plus years. And then it kind of clicks. You're like, Oh yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> so, and that may, that's in, from parenting standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, uh, you know, a big part of this program is, is giving them some guidance as well. Cause I know that, you know, I've been working in the space for, for two years and it's changed how I speak to my kids. Hmm. Um, just, just from the standpoint of making me think, think about, what I'm saying, like the words that I'm using, how is that impacting them? Um, am I, am I curious about why they're acting the way they're acting? Like just simple things like that, um, change how I'm relating to, to my, my kids. And that has nothing to do with, with my experience. That's, that's just me hearing information and, and being like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And maybe the next time I have, or see this in my kid or have, have this moment with my child, I can take a different approach. Uh, and when you take that different approach, you can see the result, you know, and how your kid shifts yeah. from, from that moment. And maybe that's the aha moment. So that the interesting part of the pilot was, you know, the feedback from the parents that we got was, was pretty cool to hear because a lot of it was just shifting pers their perspective on how they were parenting and, and noticing their kids. I love the child as the focus, but the 
but the whole family unit as the vehicle. Because to think about it otherwise would be ineffective. Like it, because X amount of time on the ice, X amount of time in a coaching or with a team environment. But those rides home in the car, the awkward dinners after when you lose the game versus the celebration dinner when you win the game and what you're going through. And so many parents and just humans in general aren't necessarily equipped to process that because they've also not received this information. Just being respectful for where we are at in the journey. And being human is notoriously messy, I like to say. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think like, it's really helpful to think of us as like even a resource. The more we've we've been building, we're a resource for you know parents, coaches, and kids. And you're going to get out of it what you want to. Um, so yeah. you know, some people might you know hear something and and want more. Some people might hear something and say, okay, cool, I, I'm enjoying the way I'm doing it. But in in order to I think affect the culture and to start to shift that a little bit. Um, it's going to take time too. Fair enough. And we all hear the same, we all hear the same piece of information, but absorb it five or 10 different ways, right? That's the, yeah. that's the journey yeah. of, cause we all, we have our own self set of filters, sometimes rose colored glasses, some, some, sometimes, sometimes not. So just to get into the nuts and bolts, this is focusing around a specific age group, correct? This is a nine to, uh, I was on your site this morning. Sorry, absorbing all this information. Who is the first initial kind of pilot target, target age range for that? And how did you guys pick that age? So our, our target age range is 10 to 12 years old and okay. that we reach research has shown it's a great age because kids, they, their brain is developed enough to have an understanding of the concepts that we're, we're talking about, but they're also not too cool. So they're not easily, you know, they're, they're <laughs> too cool the for best, school. No, I got it. I got the it. best, best way to put it. Um, you know, they're not easily influenced by, others yet you know mom and dad are still still listen to them so it, it, mm. it was kind of the perfect age to start introducing these these concepts uh and like i said the history or research is, shows that it, that's that's the perfect age from a from a sport perspective is that also like i guess where are they if i'm on my journey i'm 10 to 12 years old is it still a little bit more playful or is it also starting to get more serious now if I'm playing? Because depending on the level of team I'm at, right? It's going to play a difference of, because I know that my hockey friends, parents that are like at 12 years old, like my kids go into the NHL. Then I have others like, no, no, this is just fun. We're just having a good time. Like, is there, is that a, also a potentially a transition point of where that starts to go a little bit more down, where things start to get a bit more heavy, if you will? Yeah. Yeah. I think depending on <laughs> the kid and the family. Yeah. The kid and the parent. Yeah. The kid and the six year olds yeah. that are pretty, uh, Fair enough. <laughs> have pretty intense lives in terms of hockey, and and um, yeah, I, I think it yeah definitely from a hockey standpoint, that's when things can get serious, and you're more into like five six days a week, yeah, thing. Which I, in my mind, I don't agree with. Um, okay, the the ability to be able to play different sports and experience different things is still valuable at a, at a young age, um, and and that. I think that's the value of hearing from people that have gone through it. So you're hearing from people with believability in the space, uh, people like Mark Giordano who have had all sorts of adversity and different hurdles and challenges and his, his, you know, no one's journey is straight to the top. There's a lot of dips and um, it's, it's a roller coaster. So the value of hearing someone who has gone through it and can tell you like, Hey, like when you're 10 years old, if, if you don't make a team, or things aren't going well for you, that doesn't mean when you're 11, it's going to be the same way. Um, so it's a valuable thing to hear for the kids. And it's also a valuable thing for, for the parents to hear um, because, you know, we can all sit back now and say like, okay, like the adversity that I had when I was younger till all the way up was some of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, so I can, and how you relate to that in that moment can set you up for how you proceed from there. So I think that's, that's, it's, it's almost who the messenger is, you know, I, I can sit there and, you know, tell my, you know, have advice for my nine-year-old that's playing hockey. And he looks at me like, well, like, what do you know? And I'm like, eh, I mean, yeah, played a little bit. Right. So, but you know, he gets, he gets, Clayton Keller, who's, you know, a star player in Arizona, like if, if, if Kells tells him something, the exact same thing, he's like, oh, well, I, yeah, Kells said it, so it's got to be true, right? <laughs> well, is that just parenting kind of one-on-one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. yeah. Well, that's what I've been saying for months, but since so-and-so said it, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What I do love and what I'm hearing also, this isn't, this isn't 
this isn't about just about either either. This isn't about building better humans. This is building better athletes. This is building better, better, better members of our society. Like these are all the things. It's not like, well, I want my kid to be the best hockey player. Well, mentally, if we train that muscle and, and create that, uh, you know, basically grit, which is going to show up in all aspects of their life. Even as the parent, I'm, 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 I'm leaning in a couple different directions. I'm the parent who's all about, no, no, train more, train more. Just buying into the fact that this is an aspect of their training is still going to get me closer to my outcome of just pounding them on the ice more and more hours a day. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yeah. The reality is that it's all related, you know, like yes. you, yeah, you take yeah. our, our four or four C's and it, you know, if you feel connected to what you're doing, anybody on a daily basis, and if you feel like you're a part of a team and everyone's working towards the same goal, like that's a lot more fun place to <laughs> yeah. be yes, it is. than if you feel like an outcast and, and you're not, you know, if you, if you're confident in what you're doing, and believe in what you're doing like that's a lot a lot more enjoyable place to be than you know worrying about screwing up or making mistakes or um you know what happens when you do make that mistake uh so all those things are so valuable in terms of performance um and you know that's just kind of like that's the the added benefit to what we're doing um, and some people relate more to the performance aspect and some people are going to relate more to like, Hey, I just want my kid to be a really good human and, and enjoy all the things that sports can do for them and, and, and building that, uh, that strong human. I you know, listen to you talk. There's certainly actually, angles here. Mm-hmm. I was going to say our, our competency is directly that, you know, kind of came out of our focus group with coaches in the early days. We had some coaches who were like, this is about winning. And, you know, we want our kids to get better. And, and it's like, completely, you know, part of what the coaches get each week is a skills and drills video. And it's developed with Andrew and Adam Oates, who's one of the very best in the game, working with professional players. So come for the hockey and come for the competence and the performance aspect of it. And if those parents or coaches pick up just a little bit of the other stuff. We still turn the tide a little bit in the way that the kids can think, the parents act, the coaches coach, um, and that's a win. And then there are others who'll come for more of a holistic approach to what we've created. What I'm certainly hearing is there's there, there's what whatever aspect you're after, it's big, it's part of the program. Meredith, you talked about earlier about the science and the research, and like this isn't just something you guys think is going to work. I'm assuming this is also showing up. You're applying it in the world of hockey because obviously it's the world you know, and it's a great probably proving ground for all of these skills: physical, mental, resilience, every, everything that goes with it. But are there other like I guess where is some of where, where are you seeing this research being applied, kind of in in other areas? Because you guys are using it this way, but I'm assuming I'm hoping. This is also showing up in different uh, academic organizations, uh, camps, summer camps, anything. It, feel, it feels like it shouldn't just be locked up in this one, in this one kind of deliverable you guys have. You, you would hope. Tyler. Yeah, I would. I would. I'm very, that was an optimistic statement. <laughs> yeah, we had this really powerful moment in one of our um, curriculum meetings. So we have Dr. Luke Martin. I, again, I, he's a center for sport out of Queen's University in Hamilton, Ontario, as well as uh, Dr. Jean Cote and Carl Erickson. And, you know, these three guys have been doing positive youth development through sport research for decades. And I forget which one said, you know, what's really amazing about this is as academics and researchers, we come up with all of these findings and then they kind of just sit there. Right. And, you know, they get published and they're in a journal. And we talk about them at a conference, but it was really validating to hear these academics say, we've never seen what we've discovered and proven to be true Hmm. applied in this way. And you do see, and that's, you know, there's lots of great sports, you know, for youth development programs out there. But I do think that what 1616 is doing with where we're focusing, how it's about the kids and the adults, how it's a blend of physical and mental, um, I do think that it's really unique. And I do think we're tapping into some sports um, research that others are not. 
Excellent. So a, a differentiator of sorts in terms of getting to market and actually, like you're right, it's one of those things like, oh, this sounds like such a great idea. It makes so much sense. But that, then you start looking around almost like someone should be doing this, but yet they're not. So talk to me a little bit about where you guys are on your on your roadmap. You talked about technology. You talked about getting this out to market. You run a pilot. Where are you in kind of your milestones and where's the roadmap? Kind of let, bring the, bringing this back to the business side of this conversation. Where are you now and kind of what are the next couple couple steps on the roadmap? Well, like right now, funding is, is a big, um, okay. or fundraising, I should say, is, is our, our biggest um, need and goal. So we're, we have a goal of $1.5 million, uh, and we have a gap of about $700,000 um, to, to finish the program um, to be able to, to bring it to, to kids. So that's, that's the gap where we're at, and um, our, our goal is to have launched full 16 weeks in, in the fall and be able to, to take a hundred teams through the program at that time. So we already have, we had a pre pre um, season sign up uh, and we already have well over a hundred teams that are interested in being involved in the program. That's so awesome. now it's um, bringing all that to fruition and, and hitting the pavement with the fundraising and having conversations with people and, and drumming up interest in, in donors. And are you like, let's talk about the nuts and bolts of the, of the dollars. Is this, you're looking for individuals that are passionate about this. You're looking for family offices that have kind of a non-for-profit aspect or a purpose-driven side of it. Like who's showing up to fill that 750K gap? Like the, the real, like who do, if we could fill the room with that perfect group of people, well, what does that kind of look like? Or what have you seen that look like so far? say it's a combination of all those individuals um so you know it's individual donors family foundations it is companies you know businesses that have a reason either because they care about hockey they care about kids they care about mental health um it is all of those entities and i'll say too i think another thing that's helpful to understand is that our operating costs are very, very low because you have to remember that hiring our PhD curriculum people and the production team, that's, think of it as writing the textbook or, you know, we are building the thing, including the technology that delivers the thing to our end user. And so it can be a fuzzy thing, I think, when you're talking to an individual prospective donor or a corporate especially corporates, they love, well, like, how many kids can I get for a hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> show me, like, show well, me the numbers, show me the KPIs. Yeah, right. exactly. And it's for right now where we're at as an organization is that we need to finish building the house before we can invite people to come live in it. <laughs> um, and that's a really unique proposition, I think, in the corporate space. And it's why we're having a lot of individual conversations at the same time that we're doing that seed planting with the other entities and same with applying for grants and and things like that. Is there a grants available? Like I, I was thinking about that, the government side of, especially at this early stage, like a year from now, once you put those hundred teams through, I imagine the conversation will be very, very different in terms of, hey, we're, you know, I've always heard often, this is a joke that's said in Calgary, there's a lot of investors that are ready to be, there's, the lineup to be second is, is big. The lineup to be first is a little bit shorter. <laughs> so I'm assuming yeah. that, you know, and that can be relevant to the stage you're on, you're on as well. It sounds a little yeah. bit like where you guys are at. Is this, and where are you planning on doing the, I know you'd mentioned Calgary, you, the, a couple times where are you going to be like will the 100 teams be located in one jurisdiction or will they be spread re-spread out back to the invest local challenge like opportunity but challenge yeah i would i would say that there's there's opportunity there from uh to bring it locally to wherever you want at this point i think that's okay in the moment that we're at okay we're able to invite partners to to do what what they want to do too in terms okay. of like hey where do you want to bring this i think that's one oh, of the okay great so, of, so you can have okay. some impact as a donor like you can you can steward the operation at this point which for some people i'm assuming that's also very appealing because you know yeah i'm behind the idea but is it going to show up and we all like a little bit of afterglow of getting involved with these with these things and especially at a corporate level there's there's multiple agendas as to the why which i appreciate that mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i think at this point it's it's yeah we're we're who wants to get in early to bring this to kids in their community and, and have that impact on their community. Um, mm, okay. and, and 
you know, there's a little bit of being able to see the, the forest through the trees a little bit and, and having that bigger vision of, of where this, this could possibly go. Um, but my, my guess is once it starts going, it's, it's going to move pretty, pretty quickly, which, which will be the, the next challenge. Uh, curious, Andrew, just your relationships with obviously other players, the NHL, Hockey Canada, like some of these organizations that uh, from over here feel like a no brainer, but I'm sure those calls have already been made. Like, is there a, is there a curiosity and uptake or what, how's the industry itself or how's the sport and all the, on all the companies involved with the sport? How are they like, what's, what's, how's that been met from them when you kind of roll this out of hey, Here's what we're doing and the kind of problem we're looking to solve. I think everybody's on board with, with the idea and the cause. Um, like you said, I, I think once we're a season into this, then the, the lineup's going to be a lot longer. Yeah. Um, I get, yeah. But I also yeah. think it's a perfect opportunity for, I mean, you just look what Hockey Canada is going through right now, and, and hockey really is a culture. This is an opportunity for every one of those corporate um, sponsorships that dropped out of, of dropped Hockey Canada in the last month to get involved and actually enact change in this culture. So what we're providing really is an opportunity for people to, to change what everyone's talking about. And, and it's interesting being in this space is, is like you need people that are committed to, to change and actually putting their money towards enacting change. Um, and I think that's, that's the opportunity we present. So from, from a player standpoint, it, it's been pretty cool to see that, the buy-in in in terms of telling their stories part of our our um how we create the weekly episode is us taking an hour zoom call with with them and digging into their story uh and they're telling stories that they don't normally tell because they're talking to 10 to 12 year old kids yeah Uh, they're giving insights that they don't normally give because they have the opportunity to have impact on that next generation, uh, which I think us as, you know, athletes have, who have benefited so much from the game, that is our biggest gift that we can give to the next generation is, is that knowledge. And Hey, we made these mistakes. So you guys didn't have to, and, and, um, here's a, a better way. I love the opportunity for, because when you share a story like that, it could be cathartic. It can be your own journey of sharing it and kind of take that cape off for a minute and go, Hey, I'm real and make that approachable to a 10 year old. That's just, that's the, the impact of that. Like it, it's almost impossible to measure it back to your point, Meredith. Like how do you put a measure on the belief structure that you just changed or, or impacted on a 10 year old? You, you know, that's kind of that the old joke. When's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago, but if not just plant it today and get it and get it, get it in the ground. <laughs> I yeah. feel like you know, when's the, when's the best time to, to build it, to build build a, a, an adult when they're, you know, as soon as you can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Tyler, the stories that the players are sharing with us, they're so, they're like, it's like breathtaking sometimes. And, you know, for, to think that a 10 year old is going to hear an NHL player say, I still get nervous before games. I have a routine to help me deal with anxiety before I go out on the ice because that's normal. And that's what I need to do to perform at this level. I hope that there are so many kids out there who hear that and are like, oh, how I feel is normal. And I don't have to just accept it or ignore it. There are tools available to me that are in my control. We tell them about controlling the controllables that you can use when you're 10 or you can say Meredith, I know I have a few friends matter. that could use some and, of these I, stories as well. Just to be clear, I don't want to, we, I know we're, we're going to, we're going to focus on, yeah. on, on the age group, but I think these are been things we can all benefit from and having people that we put on pedestals and we raise up because of the way our society portrays, especially uh, professional athletes, but they're yeah. all still real people. You know, the joke, we all put our pants on one leg at a time kind of thing or whatever. There's a million jokes to support that, but telling those real stories yeah. and creating an environment for it. Ugh, yeah. I, I, I'd love to hear some of those stories myself. I'm kind of getting goosebumps just thinking about it because you're like, oh, wow, okay. So that's not just me who feels that way. And you, like, I think that'll resonate across across the board. Yeah. Really exciting what you guys are doing. Thanks for sharing and just kind of being honest about some of the challenges. And I love to be able to kind of bring it on and get it in front of my audience and get them thinking about it. And there's so many opportunities to have impact these days and so many needs, but finding something that really resonates with you and where I also believe, like to your point about metrics, 
part of this is actually just how can you not believe it's going to have positive outcomes? Like I get, we have to have the measurables and we need to show it. But if you give someone tools at 10 or 12 years old, as we all become more aware of the stories we've been telling ourselves for 20 years that, Hey, what if that story was actually different? What if that story maybe wasn't as true as you thought it was? <laughs> Life might be a little bit easier, less stressful, less yeah. anxiety, all, all the things that I think we all suffer from, whether we're 10 or we're 40 <laughs> for that matter. <laughs> exactly. Um, Yep. Any last messages? This is great, guys. Thanks for the candor and just having a chat. I love being able to work it into what is often a business-focused a business focused podcast, but it's really a podcast about change and transformation. And if you haven't figured this out by now, I like real conversations about real stuff. I don't want to talk about fluffy stuff, and this is not fluffy. But any last messages you guys want to put out to our audience in terms of just how they might want to get involved or just anything you, you, you want to share? Yeah, I mean, our website is, is 1616.org. Um, so that's where you can see that's where we live and you can get in contact with meredith through that website if you're interested in getting involved um on a corporate level on a an individual level um you can donate there so that's that's really um you know how the best way to, to get a hold of us and for, for me it's this i hope will be the thing i'm most proud of when i'm awesome. done with my life and i, I you know I've done some amazing things in, in hockey and I can be proud of, of, of what I've accomplished, but to be able to, to have impact like this and be able to serve the next generation of, of hockey players and, and give back is, is going to be my, my passion moving forward. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Meredith, any closing words? No, I, I think Andrew covered it. I'll, I'll add that we're, we're also on social media. Instagram is where you like to follow along things, uh, 1616LF. But really, the website tells a whole story, and there's real humans on the other end. When you hit that contact us button, it's me you're contacting. Um, and, and when you hit that donate button, that those, those contributions, you know, right now, we are at such a mission-critical point where the quality and reach of what we build grows exponentially with every gift that we receive. And so, yes, we'll take donations in a year from now or two years from now, but donations in this phase of our existence are particularly meaningful because it's setting the stage for all of the incredible ideas we have for what happened I appreciate next. that. What I heard loud and clear, there's a, over 100 teams out there that have put up their hand and said, we want this. Let's make sure through contribution and support that you guys are able to deliver that. It's amazing. Building a better world, one kid at a time. I love it. <laughs> Thank you both for coming on the show. It's an absolute pleasure. Andrew, good to meet you. Meredith as well. Absolute pleasure. And uh, I uh, I foresee that we may be chatting again in the near in the near future. I'll keep my audience updated on where things are going and the impact that, uh, that you guys are having. So thanks so much for coming on the show. It was great. Yeah, that's awesome. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Tyler.